Well, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 22 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. The, the passage is up on the screen here in case you forget the address. Well, today we are continuing our series in Ephesians, uh, this series that we're calling Walk in a Manner Worthy of the Calling. This is the title that we get from the first verse of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, we have seen already that our calling is to be the church and to walk in unity. Uh, Christ is the foundation of our unity. As soon as we came to faith, we were made one with Him and we became members of His body, that is the church. And so as such, we are called to unity with every true believer in the world. And as we walk in unity in the local church, the local church is, is our primary uh, place that we walk in unity uh, in our relationships with one another. The last time that we gathered to meditate on this letter, we were in verses 15-21. through 21, And God taught us that every believer should walk in godly wisdom by imitating God under the continuous influence of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, we learned that living for Christ in unity means that we submit to one another within the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says that we should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that reverence for Christ is the key to our understanding of what we're about to see today. As Paul has walked us through chapter 4 and into chapter 5, he's been preparing us for this kind of submission. He's, he's taught us to build up one another and to speak the truth to each other in love and to control our anger and to treat each other with kindness and the tenderheartedness of God uh, and to forgive one another in the very same way that Christ has forgiven us. And so as believers who fully embrace the Gospel, uh, we also make sure of something very important and that is that we're living morally pure lives because ultimately we're called to imitate God, as, as verse 1 of chapter 5 says. And all of that means submission to the Gospel and therefore submission to one another. When we do that, the result is unity within the body of Christ. And so today's passage picks up that theme of unity through submission to each other and of imitating God. Paul has already shown us in a, in a general way how all that works within the body of Christ. And now he goes even deeper to show us the Gospel's controlling influence in the controlling presence of Jesus Christ in our personal relationships. And he begins with marriage. And that's where we are today in Ephesians 5, verses 22-33. through 33. But unfortunately we've got to break up this passage into two sermons. As you can see on the screen, this is the whole passage. There's just too much to cover in one shot. Believe me, I tried. But, but, but it just can't be done. And I think part of that is because we've all got some misconceptions about what's being said in here. And so to try to jam all this into one message and to breeze through it like we're late for an appointment or something would be an injustice to what we find here. And so today, we're going to talk about the wife's submission in verses 22-24. Just three verses. And in September, uh, when we revisit Ephesians, that's when we'll cover the rest of this passage about the husband's love and his service, his servanthood to his wife. 
But in splitting up this message that is in verses 22 through 33, we have to be very careful because we do not want to miss the fact that Paul spends far more time explaining the husband's love than the wife's submission, although both are absolutely necessary in a Christian marriage. And that's because we've all got to guard against separating wives and husbands in our thinking and encourage a kind of us versus them mentality as if husbands and wives are separate entities somehow. That's no good because that's not what Paul is explaining to us here. What Paul is talking about is a relationship, a togetherness, a connectedness that is so deep that we're unified as husband and wife. This is a relationship that God has ordained since Genesis. It's a relationship whose foundation is completion through compatibility, not segregation or competition. And that's because marriage is about unity, not division. Marriage is about how neither husband or wife is superior or inferior, but that God has assigned both husbands and wives different functions within the marriage relationship so that unity happens when husband and wife are living according to those, uh, according to those functions that God has given them. Living according to God's way of being married. And we do that as husbands and wives out of reverence for Jesus Christ out of our fear and worship of the Lord. And so as we look at this whole passage, all of these verses, 22-33, through including wives and husbands, the big idea is that Christian marriage looks like this. A godly wife willingly submits to her husband out of reverence for Christ, and as the leader who is appointed by God, a godly husband has an incredibly large responsibility. And that is to love his wife by giving himself up for her. And he does that in the example of Christ, giving himself up for his church. And so a godly husband's love for his wife not only puts the love of Christ for his church on display, but it also nourishes his wife spiritually, nurtures her, and treats her with dignity. And so as we turn to this passage today to read it, I've got to let you know that yesterday was a very important day for Leslie and me. Leslie and I, 28 years ago yesterday, got married. We got married. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Praise God. And so really, I think that, that the timing of this passage is incredible. I think God wanted Leslie and me to meditate on these things in celebration of our marriage, of our 28 years together. I remember before the wedding that I had vowed that saying I do to Leslie and God would be the best decision that I would ever make. And I'm here to tell you today that I was exactly right. And so happy anniversary to my bride. Yes. I want to repeat as well a, a, a verse that Leslie and I repeat to one another very often. It's from the Song of Solomon. Uh, you can find it in chapter 6, verse 3, but it's, it's in several places in that, uh, in that book, in that song. But it is, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. We believe that with all of our hearts. Truer words are never spoken. We belong to one another in the Lord. And I am so incredibly grateful that I am hers. 
So as we turn to Ephesians today, in celebration of 28 years of learning to be married God's way, I want to invite Leslie forward. And we're going to read this passage together. This passage to which we both submit as God's authoritative word over our lives. She's going to read what pertains to wives so that you can hear what she submits to. And that's what we're going to cover in detail today. And I'm going to read what pertains to husbands so that you can hear what I submit to. And that's the part that we'll cover in September. But I want us all to hear something. I want us to hear how the real emphasis and the real just incredible responsibility is on the husband's devotion and duty to Christ and therefore his devotion and duty to his wife. Because after all, you're going to hear with your own ears that I have a whole lot more to read than she does. And the reason for this, of course, is the fact that we get this so mixed up oftentimes. We focus on this bit about submission and we forget about what the husband does, about what a godly husband does. And so let's listen to Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present, to, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. And before we get dig in to the Word here, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about the role of this passage in Leslie's in my marriage and, and really how it pertains to all of us. God has been working on Leslie and me for 28 years to teach us to submit, submit to the truth of God in these words. And I've got to tell you, that's been a real struggle at times. And I know it has, it's been a struggle for many of us here today. And that's because... Leslie and I have had to overcome some fairy tale notions of love and marriage, surely. But we've also had to overcome some very deep personal struggles. We've gone through some very dark times in our marriage. We've wrestled with the same questions that we all do. What does it mean for a godly wife to submit? What does it mean for a godly husband to love and to serve his wife? Our misunderstandings and frankly, even our misgivings about God's Word have been revealed in some horribly painful ways through the years. Because each of us has rebelled at times against what God is saying in these 12 verses. 
And so as Ephesians 5 has confronted us and challenged us both, we've had to ask ourselves a question. Am I going to allow God's Word to change me? Or am I going to try to change God's Word? Well, Leslie and I are here to testify to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has convicted us of the necessity of allowing God's Word to change us. The necessity of being married God's way. And as the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our own misguided perceptions, our selfishness, and our pride, which is only to say our sin, we've been changed by the power of the Gospel. And so 28 years into marriage, we find ourselves to be significantly different people than when we stared all googly-eyed at one another at the altar 28 years ago. Praise be to God, we're still pretty googly-eyed. But you know, we've seen the danger of trying to do marriage our way. We've also seen the great blessing of being married God's way as we've learned to put the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on display to each other. All to say, I think these are some of the most challenging and transforming words in the Bible, whether we're married or not, because what they call us to is submission. Submission to Jesus Christ. Submission to each other. They remind us to surrender unconditionally to the power of the Gospel. And this is a Gospel that governs and changes us even in the most intimate area of life. Marriage. But you know, those of us who are already married know that marriage can be hard. And so we rightly look for help. How do we get along? How do we fix what's broken? Some of us in here today have probably read almost every Christian book on marriage that there is. And you've got an awful lot to choose from. Go to Christian Book Distributors sometime this week and look it up. You've got 2,453 books on marriage and divorce to choose from. It's incredible. And so we read our books and we go to counseling and we look for comfort and answers. We talk to our friends. We we talk to our pastors. we, We listen to sermons like this one. And all of these things are right and necessary and good and we should keep doing them. Amen. But here's a question. Why is it that for so many of us that real change is so slow in coming? How come come our marriages don't improve? Why do we continue to struggle? Why do we continue to insist on blaming our spouse instead of submitting ourselves to what we find on this very page in our Bibles? Well, in my own experience, I think, it's, I think because at the bottom of it all, we, we just really don't want this passage to mean what it says. We don't like the fact that God puts responsibility on us and that we as husbands and we as wives need to conform to His Word. To unconditionally surrender to the Gospel. And surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I've found to be true in my own marriage, I think is true in in most, if not all, marriages. If there's a fundamental problem in your marriage, it's because one or both of you are not living Ephesians 5. And brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, it's usually both of you. 
The reason your marriage is broken is because one or both of you isn't following Christ in the ways that Paul has been teaching us right here in Ephesians. Being married God's way can seem like it costs too much. Submit to that man? Are you kidding me? Love and, and serve that woman? Really? That's why this is so challenging. These are challenging words that God is saying here. And the reason they're challenging is because God is answering both questions emphatically. Yes, love your wife. Submit to your husband. The goal of every Christian marriage, brothers and sisters, is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romance and all of those other things follow that. But that isn't the point of your marriage. The point of your marriage is to bring glory to Him. And so what God is saying here is that regardless of how well or terribly that your spouse is living up to this passage in Ephesians, the way that you bring glory to Christ is for you to live the role that's spelled out for you in Ephesians 5. A godly wife submits as to the Lord. And a godly husband loves as Christ loves. He serves his wife as an act of worship to the living God. And so as we gather around this passage this morning, may we all bow at the foot of the cross to find out what this passage is really saying. And may we submit to God. And so let's begin. In verses 22 through 24 today, that we're going to see three simple yet challenging points. Number one, the Christian wife willingly submits to her husband because she loves Jesus Christ. Number two, the husband is the head of the wife, and there's more to it, and we'll get into that. And number three, the marriage relationship is like the church's submission to Christ. And so let's look at our first point that the Christian wife willingly submits to her husband because she loves Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.22 maybe one of the most controversial sentences in all of Scripture. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, for, for us to understand this verse and this passage as a whole, we really have to understand verse 21 the one that comes right before, that says that we should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit out of reverence for Christ. It is vital that we notice the nature of the submission that's described in verse 21. It is submission out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21 is a bridge to what follows and this, this submission out of reverence for Christ is what sets the tone for what we're about to see in all of these following verses about submission between husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters. And how all of us, no matter who we are, are called to submit to the Gospel. And so now that we understand the nature of the submission, now we can understand a little bit more about what it means that the wife submits as to the Lord in verse 22. This is just like elsewhere when we see that everything we do should be done ultimately to the Lord, whether we're loving a fellow believer or working hard or speaking the truth in love. 
The wife is not submitting slavishly. She is not your slave, husbands. She's not submitting even primarily to a man. She is submitting to Christ above all. And this is a submission of her will to God's will. And so she defers to her husband. And so that also means that her submission is not based on the husband's worthiness or even his spiritual condition. And we'll see that a little later on. Her submission is for Jesus Christ. And so a godly wife submits to her husband because she worships Jesus Christ. She submits as to the Lord. And so that's our first point. And the second point is that the husband is the head of the wife. And this one might even be a little harder to swallow. This is in verse five, uh, Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, of His body, and is Himself its Savior. The husband is the head of the wife. And here we see that fundamentally, husband and wife have different roles. The husband is the head, and the wife is the follower of the husband. And here again, we see a huge minefield of opportunity to misunderstand what God is saying to us. Many people think that this verse is saying that men are better, that men are superior. That's how many men interpret it anyway. And so God all of a sudden is a male chauvinist. He's an oppressor of women. And He supports this male absolute dictatorship where the woman has to do everything that the man says like a slave. But that's not it at all. God always blesses those whom He loves. He never oppresses them, including women. Our Lord is the giver of life and He brings healing even to the unclean woman in Luke who nobody wanted as she pressed through the crowd because she was sick and she thought, oh, if I can only touch the hem of His garment. And in that pressing crowd with all of these people around, Jesus noticed that tiny little touch. He noticed this woman who was an outcast, who nobody wanted. She was unclean. She wasn't even supposed to be there. And Jesus notices her and He speaks to her and He cares for her and He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And that's just one example in Scripture. We see it everywhere. This is who Christ is. God is no chauvinist. He is, however, a God of order. Order that when we follow it, blesses us both, husband and wife. Because in that order is where we find our dignity and our personhood. That order and dignity is reflected in how Adam rejoiced when God created Eve. You remember this in Genesis 2.23? This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You see, he's making the connection there. He's thrilled that he and Eve are made up of the same stuff. They're both human beings. They're both equal in the eyes of God because of their humanity. And this is just like what it says in Galatians about how there is neither Greek nor Jew nor slave nor nor male or female. We are all equal in the eyes of God when it comes to our salvation. And so therefore, We are of the same essence. There are differences, to be sure. 
Yet God made men and women to be uniquely compatible to fulfill different roles, neither role being more important than the other. Both of us, husbands and wives, contributing with our our minds and our intellect and our abilities and so on. But back to Genesis. God created Adam first. He gave Adam care of the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2.15 So God created Eve to be Adam's helper. To be his fellowship, his companion. And so Adam is the leader. And Eve is the follower. Not as the inferior following the superior. But as one flesh, husband and wife, being made perfectly compatible and uniquely necessary to each other. And then Adam and Eve sin. And even though it's Eve who takes the first bite, you remember that the onus is on Adam. And that's because he's the head. He is the responsible one. And then God explains to Eve how things are going to be. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, we've already seen how the husband's rule and headship have already been established in the garden. So it can't be that the husband's rule, that his authority, that his headship is the punishment. That's not the consequence of Eve's sin. Before the, before the fall, Eve had no problem submitting to Adam. She had no problem embracing God's order of things. And so it's her desire that's the problem. The consequence of her sin is that she wants to be in control. That's because the word for desire in the Hebrew means a desire to control. The desire of the woman is her attempt to dominate her husband. And so after the fall, this is the sinful desire that rises up in Eve and in almost every woman who has ever lived. But God says He shall rule over you. That is, God is asserting that the roles that He established in the garden before the fall will remain throughout history. The husband will rule over the wife even though she desires otherwise. And so the husband is the head of the wife, ordained by God since the beginning. This is the understanding of Scripture from the garden all the way up to our passage right here to verse 22 and 23 and 24 of our passage. And so therefore, just like every team needs a leader, a godly wife submits to her husband. A leader is no better than the members on the team. After all, in Adam's case, we've always got to point this out, he sinned too. He's no better. But as the husband, Adam is the one whom God has given the authority in his relationship with his wife. And so the husband is the head not because of his own worthiness. It's simply a role that cannot be earned. But it is, brothers, it is a role that every Christian husband is called to aspire to. But the husband is the head only because the sovereign God of the universe, the sovereign God over both the husband and the wife, He is the head because God has placed him there. And so Paul next explains what this husband's headship is supposed to look like in verse 23. 
His leadership is modeled after Christ Himself. In verse 23, it says, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. So, the headship of the husband over the wife follows the pattern of Christ's headship over the church. The wife is to the husband, what the body is to the head, and what the church is to Christ. We all know, and this is what John has been preaching on lately, the body is not just a pile of parts. They are parts that function together as a whole. And each part is governed by the head. And so marriage, God's way, describes wholeness and completeness. This is what compliment means. This isn't compliment like a polite expression of praise, like, great dinner, honey. You know, that's a compliment. But, a, but compliment, this means a thing that completes or brings to perfection. And so husband and wife complement one another. They complete or perfect one another in marriage. That is God's design for marriage. And so as we'll see in, in September in the section about husbands, Christian marriage portrays the church's glorious relationship to Christ and how He perfects His church. But this comparison only works when husbands and wives assume their proper places as God has ordained. You know, we've all seen what happens when roles get out of kilter. We've, we've all seen the damage that churches can do when they forget that Jesus Christ is their head and not their own opinions and viewpoints and so on. Christ is the head of the church in all things. And we've seen the rotten theology and doctrine that can pour out of churches like that. Well, likewise, marriage gets all cattywampus when the roles are reversed or when somebody isn't fulfilling their role. And that's why I say that when a marriage is in trouble, it's probably because the husband or the wife or both are not accepting the order that God is laying out here for us in Ephesians 5 and perhaps not even accepting Paul's teaching in the rest of Ephesians about the way that we treat one another, the way that we submit to one another. I know that's been the case in my own marriage. And the only solution to Leslie's and my problems was to submit ourselves to God's Word. For me to learn to love Leslie as Christ loves the church and to serve her and and to aspire to be an Ephesians 5 husband. And the only way for us to, to, to solve our problems was for Leslie to learn to willingly submit to my leadership. And to do that meant that we needed to submit to Jesus Christ. We need to submit to His Word. Order is what God ordains in marriage. Order that requires cooperation from both husband and wife. And that's what Paul is explaining in 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head, of ev- uh, the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Well, what does that mean? Well, our very first sermon on the church uh, a year and four days ago, as a matter of fact, uh, we meditated on Colossians 1.18a, which says that He, Christ, is the head of the body of the church. Christ affirms this in Matthew 28.18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And so does Ephesians 1.22. And He, that is God, put all things under His feet and gave Him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church. 
And so we get it. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. But I think in all of this talk about authority and headship and, and leadership and all of these things, it's really easy for us to overlook that the fact that the nature of the headship of Christ is servanthood. It's servanthood and submission to His Father. So how can that be? That the head of Christ is God. Here's how that works. God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and co-eternal. So how in the world can God the Father be the head of Christ? Well, even though Christ is God, Christ willingly subordinates Himself to the Father in order to save the church. And the Holy Spirit willingly subordinates Himself to the Son and to the Father. And all of this is voluntary submission so that salvation can happen. So that the purposes of God can be fulfilled. So the Son voluntarily becomes a servant of His Father. And the Son sends Jesus Christ or the Father sends Jesus Christ to save us. They are three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each with different roles, yet in absolute equality and unity. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Christian marriage is like. It is the perfect unity of two people who do not lose their identity or their dignity. They are two people who fulfill their roles in marriage by submitting to Jesus Christ and therefore to one another. Later on in the section dealing with husbands that we'll look at in September, Paul in Ephesians 5.31, he quotes Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the unity we're talking about. This is the unity that comes about as the wife submits uh, to the headship of her, of her husband and as the husband gives himself up for his wife. You see, this is headship. This is, this is headship through submission and servanthood. That's how Jesus Christ leads His church. Christ submits Himself to His Father and He serves the church. He loves His church in the most powerful way possible by giving Himself up for her. Not only in death, but also in life. Because He not only died on the cross for the church, but He humbled Himself to become a man. He endured temptation without sin. He forgave us of our sins. And He loves us patiently and with kindness and with tenderheartedness. And so brothers, later on when we speak about us husbands giving ourselves up for our wives, we're not just talking about the sacrifice of long hours at work to provide our middle class living or to make sure that we bring roses home on a regular basis. What we're talking about is being so devoted to Jesus Christ that we serve our wives in humility, that we love them sacrificially, that we defer to them, that we nurture them, that we cherish them, that we value their brains, that we treat them for who they are. And who they are is the most precious human being on this planet. And we love them more than anyone else besides Jesus Christ. Because husbands, being the head of your wife is not about being the boss. 
It's about being a servant. It's about learning to submit to one another. It's about being in union with your wife, which means that your wills are so intertwined that her submission to you is no longer a burden, but a blessing. And it's a blessing because you've set the tone for valuing her, for cherishing her point of view, for desiring her participation in things. And setting that tone means that as husbands, our walk with Christ has got to reach new heights of maturity. Maturity in Christ. That's how Paul puts it earlier in Ephesians. That's what we need to do. Our relationship with Christ is key to our marriages. It's not how much money we make. It's not the status we have at work or how good we are at sports or how clever and handsome and witty we are. And to prove my point, try something this week. Sometimes this, sometime this week, surprise your wife by randomly grabbing her by the hand and kneeling down in the kitchen and pray for her. Pray earnestly and out loud for her. Pray that God would grow and mature both of you in the Lord. She so wants that. And she needs it. She needs you to lead her spiritually. That's how God made her. And brothers, that's the role that God has ordained for you as a husband. She needs you to make sure that you go as a family to church. It needs to be your idea. She needs you to read your Bible on your own without being reminded. She needs you to take the lead. And all of this is why we cannot overlook what else it says in verse 23 about Christ in relation to the kind of head a husband is to be because it says that Christ is Himself its Savior. Christ is the Savior of the church. Now, of course, we as husbands can't truly emulate Christ in that way. We cannot save our wives. That's what Christ has done. Just like we can't die for the forgiveness of anybody's sins any more than we can live a perfect life. But what Paul means here is that we follow the example of Christ. Because here, Savior means uh, to convey that Christ is also our preserver in a broader sense. In that He cares for us. He looks after His church. We know with confidence that He will return for His bride someday. We're sure of that. And we're sure of our eternal safety in Him. And so in a similar sense, the husband preserves his wife by submitting to Christ, by leading her spiritually, by, by nurturing with the goodness of Christ, by, by being lavish with the love of God because that's how God has loved us. And all of this guards and, and shields her and, and maintains and grows her own faith. And so that's our second point, brothers, that the husband is the head of the wife in a very, very special and powerful way. And our third point is that the marriage relationship is like the church's submission to Christ. Ephesians 5.24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Brothers and sisters, the, the church is not a human invention and neither is marriage. God invented both. 
The church is subject to Christ because He's our head. He rules us worthily because of His love for us. His perfect love for us. And in the order of God's creation, the husband is the head of the wife and his call is to lead worthily by giving himself up for his wife. And this is where we need quickly to note that wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Everything that is, that is godly. Just as the church submits to Christ in all things, so a wife submits in everything godly to her husband. This is the same principle at work as our submission as believers to the government that is over us. We obey its commands as, as long as we don't violate our Christian conscience. And yet, regardless, we respect the government's right to make its laws and, degree, and decrees and to punish us if we disobey its laws even because of our faith in God. And so likewise, a wife obeys her husband in godly things. And yet even when there is ungodliness on the part of the husband, the wife who loves Christ will respond with grace. But let me ask the question that I think is on a lot of our minds right now. What does a wife do with a husband who is not living Ephesians 5? I mean, does she she submit even then? I mean, aren't there exceptions? Shouldn't Shouldn't she try to control him then? Well, Peter has the answer. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You know, that's what wins people to Christ in the world, isn't it? When we conduct ourselves in a godly way, it's not when we shout at them with a megaphone or post nasty things on Facebook. It's when we love them and when we display the grace of God to them. But you know, this is a difficult answer, isn't it? That Peter is giving us. Because what Peter even might be envisioning here is is a wife who's a brand new believer. She's been married for years and now she's a a brand new believer, but her husband is not. And so she's married to a pagan. What does she do? Well, God desires that she be an Ephesians 5 wife in a pagan home. So that her very life in her most intimate moments becomes a testimony, becomes a witness that might even fall forever on deaf ears. She might not ever know. But because of her respect and her purity, maybe her husband will turn to Christ. But you see, that's the hope. But there is a guarantee here in this passage in what Peter is saying. Because if she is not an Ephesians 5 wife, there is no hope that he's going to hear the Gospel from her. So there's no exception in God's order of marriage. Even an ungodly husband is no excuse to take control in the spirit of Genesis 3.16. For God desires that you be His light in that darkness. And here's the way I think about this. You know, we, we revere missionaries, don't we? 
the missionaries who go off and live in a foreign land. We all know of stories that have been lived painfully and painstakingly over long years for the sake of spreading the Gospel and to care for people who do not know the Lord. And so we admire and respect those men and women who have suffered for the Gospel. But why is it that we're tempted to agree with what the world would say to a woman in a difficult marriage? You know, you've got to be happy. You just need to, you need to turn that one in and move on with your life. You need to, to just leave him. That's what the world says, but that's a tempting thing to say, isn't it? Because we see, we see the awful situation. But instead, we ought to be encouraging her to, to truly strive to obey Christ by living Ephesians 5 so that when her husband sees her respectful and pure conduct, he might come to the Lord. In her submission to Christ, even in a difficult marriage, isn't she doing the same thing that a missionary is doing? But, but with the stakes that are even higher? Because, boy, that's traumatic for a wife. It is. There's no question about that. Yet she's doing something of eternal value. She's living the Gospel in a home that needs it desperately. And she's doing it by walking as a child of the light. And this is where the Gospel just flies in the face of fairy tale romance and storybook endings. God often puts the church and He often puts wives in difficult places. He does, does so surely to refine us, but He also does it so that He can shine His light in the darkness and to put His grace on display. And He wants to use you to do that. And so that's the last point. That the marriage relationship is a lot like the church's submission to Christ. The second point was that the husband is the head of the wife. And the first was that the Christian wife willingly submits to her husband because she loves Jesus Christ. But what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? There's really no formulaic answer to what exactly submission looks like in your home. Every marriage is different. Every home is different. And these are things that that we've got to work out together as husband and wife. There's no formula for how husbands are to, to serve their wives except for the example of Christ, again. But in submitting to one another out of our reverence for Christ, in that, what we're really talking about is a heart issue. It's an issue that involves grace. It's an attitude that puts others first. This isn't about who changes the oil and who darns the socks. This is about your mutual submission and ultimately your submission to Jesus Christ. Husbands, how do you serve your wife as Christ has loved the church? And wives, in your worship of Jesus Christ, how do you submit to your husband? The Holy Spirit will help you that as long as you're willing. What God has taught Leslie and me is He's refined us. As, as Leslie has displayed His grace over and over to me, that's absolutely for sure. Her pure conduct has 
help me to see God's way. But as, as God has done this in our lives, as, as, as we've gone through these struggles and the good times, what we've learned is that we do have a great God who, who does great things. A God who is so powerful that He can change my heart of stone and He can change Leslie's hearts. And brothers and sisters, if He can do that with us, He can do it with you. The only thing that He requires of us is our willingness to do it His way. To embrace the roles that God has given us. That's how our marriages will glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is the perfect and faithful bridegroom who will someday return for His bride. Amen. Let's pray.